wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. My gosh, folks, we have the most amazing show for you today. Uh, you are going to be so excited, delighted. And if you love mysteries and thrillers, thrillers and fantasy, actually, not, not, not <laughs> mysteries and thrillers. Let me cut that. Uh, if you love thrillers and fantasy, or if you just love any sort of great books, uh, you're going to love the guest we have on the show. He's a very prolific author, uh, author with a series of four books that we'll be talking about today. And we'll be talking about his latest one that just came out. Uh, let's see, May, I'm sorry, July 4th, 2022, Independence Day in America here. But he's from Canada, so we'll talk about why that's a thing. And uh, he's the author, A.G. Flitcher, is on the show with us today. Uh, the newest book that came out is called Boone and Jacques, Citrus Moonlight. And it's a series of uh, ongoing books, to my understanding. We'll verify that with him when he comes on the show. In the meantime, when we talk to him, uh, we'll want you to go out and uh, watch the video. He's got some amazing paintings behind him on YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Go to Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. Go see uh, all of our groups on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And we're trying to get uh, shows up on TikTok. We're trying to get the format right over there. And we should be putting up some shows that's really cool that should be soon. Uh, he is the author of these amazing books. And he's quite prolific. He's uh, got the quite thing going. It took me 53 years to write my first book, which means another 53 years when I'm 106, the new, next book will come out. A.J. Flitcher is a six-time award-winning author who plays finals for fantasy series for the Osmo Award, gifting his work to foster children in active compassion. In addition, he has taught many the art of storytelling to novice writers and avid readers. His obsession with questioning the good and bad in life, the gray areas, and the scary parts of life is what makes his work enthralling and colorful. Welcome to the show, AG. How are you? Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Awesome sauce. It's wonderful to have you on the show, my friend. Uh, give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebages. All right. It's actually pretty easy for everybody. You can use the same handle on your search engines for AG Flitcher for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. There you go. There you go. So uh, you're coming into us from where? Well, you Canada. I think I dropped that earlier. How's Canada these days? I'm uh, from British Columbia. Canada, yeah. Um, well, it's pretty cold today. I went to go walk my dog before this interview, and I was like, "Jesus, do I really want to walk my dog?" I, mean, <laughs> I don't know, Leo. It's pretty chilly outside. I wish I had fur like you, but uh, I had to anyway. My dogs always give me that look. I have two Siberian Huskies. They always give me that look yeah. when I put my coat on. They're like, "Really?" Yeah, my dog's a routine dog. He's like, "Excuse me, why are you still sitting? Get up." Yeah. 
yeah, get up, get up. The uh, my dogs look at me and they're like, "Yeah, what a dumb species you are! You were born without fur. What idiots!" And I'm like, "Yeah, well, you guys don't have opposable thumbs, so screw you. We got the nuclear bomb." So anyway, there you go. So uh, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, give us a little bit of background as a writer. Uh, what made you want to become a writer, and what led to the uh, the genesis of these uh, four books that you have out now, and I guess more to come. Well, it actually started uh, with tragedy. I um, lost my mom like almost eight years ago. So uh, when that happened, I was looking for some kind of creative outlet to, I don't know, get through everything. And over time, I started to just talk to people. So it was just easier to balance things out. So it was good to talk to people every now and then. Yeah. And uh, what I noticed is that... um, I had to balance my creativity with humanity. So rather than fixate on some, you know, artful uh, outlet, I just saw it as my catalyst to, I don't know, uh, pass on how I dealt with uh, trauma as opposed to uh, leaning on my creativity and seeing it as more of just a fun thing and also educational thing through entertainment for others. Mm-hmm. Did you write before? Were you? Did you uh, do any writing earlier on? Did you know some people will do things that will, you know, future burgeoning stuff. I I would write little uh, limericks or little poems and stuff when I was a kid. Um, no, actually, bef- I didn't always want to be a writer. Before, I wanted to be a filmmaker, a journalist, oh. a, a chef. You know, I I never could make up my mind when I was younger. I was I, I've always been a random person. I have thoughts upon thoughts piling on each other in my head. So when I was thinking about all these different avenues that I was uh, contemplating, I realized that they all had to do with creativity and and being organized. So uh, once I started reading more diverse books and trying to pick up on cadences and all that stuff, I realized that you know what. I think writing is my thing. And once life started to become more challenging and more interesting and, you know, all the ups and downs, I was like, you know what? I think there's something about storytelling that can marry the two of kind of navigating through uh, life's chaos. There you go. I mean, this is why we this is why we uh, appreciate stories. This is why we value stories because not only is it a great way to, like you say, navigate n- navigate through life's crisis or life's chaos, and sometimes to give us peace, sometimes to give us a time out. You know, it's good to maybe think about something else other than maybe what you see on the news every day or pe- pestilence. You know, everything that's on there, uh, and that's and that's just what's on. Uh, I don't have a joke for that. There was a lead in somewhere and I lost it. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, we, we, uh, we need a little bit of tune out time. We need a little bit of fantasy time where we disconnect from the real world and, and think of good things and better things. Or, or sometimes we like to think of challenges. I think the mind is an interesting, uh, the mind is an interesting thing, especially, you know, if you have like six personalities like me, cause they all six have their own minds, but, uh, you know, stories, stories, the way we learn stories, the way we learn about life and, and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I told my niece and my nephew, I said, when they graduated uh, high school, I said, I said, collect stories, be a story collector, because it's how you learn. And some of the some of the greatest things I've ever had in my life are the stories and my memories and stuff. And God forbid I should ever lose that. 
you know, at, at least, you know, ha- whatever half of my mind I still have left. So you, you start out as a screenwriter, is that correct? And you made a couple short films? Yeah. Uh, on, on a very like zero to shoestring budget, you know, I, I once shot a short film in three hours going to three locations mm. and, uh, the thing about that that process is what really encouraged me to uh, really educate myself before doing any kind of uh, proper um, writing. I mean, it was fun, you know, the, the the whole excitement of go, go, go. But the thing about filmmaking, whether you make a break or, or not, uh, there's something about the, I guess, the... the <laughs> the active destruction you go through before the final product that makes you go, you know what? There's something about being excited about, Oh no, Oh no. The whole time that makes you want to, you know, keep trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's quite the adventure. And, uh, is screenwriting much different than writing for a book? Yeah. Because screenwriting is very uh, formulaic because you're not writing something set in stone. You're writing literally a blueprint for what's going to be translated on screen. You're, you're not reading, you know, you no one's going to read it. You know, no one reads a movie, they watch a movie. So really you're just, you're giving a director um, words on paper that they can translate on screen. So I'm not writing uh, an action sequence. I'm writing what I think could look good on screen. And then it's their job to see how that can translate visually. So go. really my job is to just say, does this work for you? I don't know. Let me know. There you go. Uh, so what motivated you to write your first book and the first book of four in a series uh, and, and, uh, and, and make that final step to move from screenwriting to book writing? Well, I, I still remember the, f- the first time I, was, I sat down to write this, the first book. I was in a parking lot for Starbucks. And I was like panicking because I'm like, no one knows who I am. I was just even worth my time. And instead of worrying about that, I saw it as a chance for me to revitalize my process of writing. And instead of seeing it as uh, some Hail Mary attempt to make a living out of it, I just had fun with it. So Mm -hmm. really, my first book was just my attempt to stop worrying about what the outcome is going to be and whether it gets attention or not and to just do it for myself. Exactly. You know, when I, I wrote my book, um, I crammed it over three months and banged it out over three months. I was lucky that, uh, I, I had all these stories that I collected again, we're back to stories, uh, that I collected for 53 years. And I've been telling these stories to people and, and they loved them and they were interesting and funny and stupid. And people were like, what is your problem, dude? Anyway, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's my Facebook audience, clearly. Um, but uh, I'd been telling these stories forever, so I'd gotten a chance to really have them purified down, and and I've been telling them, you know, at different places where I'd have to can you know get them concise and get them, you know, cut down from you know telling you know five thousand word stories mm-hmm. I usually do, and so. Uh, so there's a lot that I had that was like in the can, basically. It just needed to get put on paper. And I remember writing it and it was a, it was a slam process to do three months and then edit in two and then publish. I think it was edited technically. Well, it, was, it 
dead and he drove, 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 drug on for, I think five weeks. And then, you know, we were heading to the last second. Um, you're always like finding stuff. You're like, Hey, that period's in the wrong way. Um, and, uh, you know, at the end I was out of my mind and I think I was in a place a lot of authors get to where they're, they're just kind of losing it. And they're just like, is anyone going to read this piece of crap I wrote? You know, you, you just, you have that self-depreciation mindset going in your head and you're just like, you know, this is, ah, man, you know, and, and, uh, uh, I reached a point where I was like, you know what? I've told my story. These are stories I've been carrying around for 53 years. I finally put them on paper for all of eternity or however long Amazon, you'll keep reprinting after I'm dead. And, uh, which I, my understanding is as long as they, they're around. So they'll probably be around longer than I am at this point. Yeah. Um, although, you know, knock on wood, I mean, they could go my space, I suppose, but, uh, segues aside, uh, the, uh, I was, ha- I got up down and I, I came to this, I finally just came to the dead end. I don't know if it's a dead end, but I came to this dead end where I just went, you know what? I don't give an F if anybody reads this book, anybody cares or whatever. I got my history on paper. I just immortalized myself. I don't care. I told my story. I said what I said. And uh, I'm happy with it. If no one buys it, I'm going to be happy with it. Because I just achieved something most people don't do. That, you know, and most people can't do is write a book and get it published. So uh, I kind of reached that point, too. I know what that's like. And a lot of my author friends were like, yeah, man. You know, when you reach the point where you're that frustrated and you're, you know, just go a little bit further. You're almost there. Uh-huh. so uh yeah i mean being able to write something and you know be happy with yourself and go you know what i i don't it doesn't matter to me whether anyone likes it or not and a lot of the greatest things i've ever done in my life are things i did for myself so it's a good journey to go on huh yeah of course i mean what made me switch in terms of my motivation is uh once i started to free myself from, uh, I guess what you would call, uh, self traps from repressed emotion with trauma. The, the more I valued my work because when people tell me how my work affected them, the more value I saw, not just in my work, but in myself and it made my writing that much more freeing and, and a lot more cohesive because I, I worried less about, uh, how much I was putting myself in there and how, I incorporated other people in and instead of uh, worrying about what is going to be in the context of my writing, I just saw it as a piece of art that I created and however little or however big this, you know, gains attention, I'm going to be happy with it because the fact that I'm not worrying about the finance of, of uh, my writing is to me a, 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 a sign of growth that I'm not seeing this as a, um, a selling tool or something mm-hmm. that I'm trying to sell. I'm seeing it as a, a creative opportunity for me to evolve as a person. There you go. There you go. Sometimes uh, sharing how our evol- how we evolve and how we do things is the best way to inspire others. So that's always important. So let's talk about your book. You created a four series book based upon, I believe, two characters, Boone and Jacques. Yeah. Uh, what made you settle on uh, writing fantasy thrillers 
And uh, what made you uh, want to talk about uh, these two folks and who are they? Well, if I'm being honest, these are two versions of me. Uh, Boone is the, for those who are watching this on YouTube, Boone, that guy here. Sorry, now it's in frame. Um, he's more of my goofy and down-to-earth, uh, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jacques is my studious and uh, book-reading side and very mm-hmm. philosophical and logical. So really, at first, it was about me understanding who I am as a person and as an author. But mm-hmm. once I, once I uh, distanced myself from the characters and made it more about their growth and not mine it became way more um, gripping because I, I made it less about myself and said, you know what? I can't keep making it about my pain and, and who I am because then it, I'm becoming a selfish author who's just like, I'm going to write about me. No one cares. So <laughs> well, I mean, some people do. Some people do if you're doing self yeah. books, but I mean like for those who are reading fiction um, or really fantasy books, because sometimes what, what uh, authors do when they're trying to, um, use writing as as a catalyst for their emotions uh you can tell that it's becoming more and more narrow as opposed to fully enveloping the story meaning you involve other components and something that's a bit more grounded in a a bigger picture of what you want the story to be so that's how the the series evolved hmm there you go. So you started the book, um, and then is each book kind of like a semi-standalone book, or do you have to start at the beginning and read the whole series to understand what's going um, on? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. The first three, which are all over here next to me, the first three are all interconnected. Um, they don't – how can I put this? They're interconnected, but they don't, they don't all follow the same pattern. So – once you go into book two, we're outside of Saddleton, which is the hometown. So we're in this kind of, you know, Dark Tower, Stephen King series, uh, uh, wasteland. Hmm. And then they go back into town, but it's far more different. There's a bit, a very, uh, dark vibe and a lot more, um, sinister. And then in book four, we go to Citrus, a new town that was uncovered due to a certain final event in book three. Ah. Yeah. And is that, do those, do those events of, of, uh, that are each in each of the four books, they weave together throughout the four books. So you'll, so there are references just, in each book mm-hmm. to keep them connected. Yeah. The Easter but, eggs uh, and stuff. Yeah. There are Easter eggs. Even in, um, the final book that I'm working on now, these are just the four published books. I'm working on the final book right now. I do make mention of certain things from each book to kind of, you know, just bring everything full circle, but it's not in the sense that I'm, I'm uh, backtracking. It's more, I'm tethering the things that the main characters uh, either forgot about or purposely tried to forget. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. The uh, so are Boone and Jacques. Are they uh, like detectives? Are they just kind of amateur detectives, professional detectives? Are um, they like Thomas and Hardy, well, maybe? Or Jacques becomes an actual detective in book four. Mm-hmm. It's more like they're just two curious kids, and then they became teenagers, and they're just ah. trying to understand life on their own. 
kind of like a series of unfortunate events where none of the adults are paying attention to them and they're learning, they learn from each other in their own life. Uh, but Boone is more lost at the beginning than, than Jack is. He mm-hmm. has a longer journey at the beginning of uh, understanding himself and his person, his, uh, his purpose in life. And it wasn't to be a detective. That's just how their curiosity comes off. That's they're always so curious in a detective uh, manner. Um, but it is only Jack that really sees himself as a detective. Ah, there you go. So they go on different adventures and uh, they're best friends. And they, they, they go through uh, all these different things they're always discovering. Now, you mentioned that you're working on the fifth book. Mm-hmm. And that will be the end of the series? End of the series and their main character arc, but they may okay. show up in other standalone novels. Huh. Do you have anything else planned you're working on that uh, it sounds like you have a plan? Uh, after the series, yeah. Um, I'm writing this or working on this uh, serial killer origin story called uh, Black Rose Cocoon. Oh. And... Um, I, I had uh, interviewed a couple of criminology professors, actually, to get some uh, information on how, on how the mind of a serial killer works and what is more rare, what is the difference between a female and male killer. And the female killer intrigued me more, not just because of its rarity, but the mindset as well, where a male killer is more of an impulse thing where it's just at random. There's no rhyme or reason for why they do it. It's just an impulse that they can't control. Hmm. There's there's no therapizing them to stop. It's, it's just something they can't control. Where a female killer who has the same impulse, but she's more of an opportunist, meaning there's some kind of reasoning behind her kills. So some kind of, not human, but, there's some kind of logic to why she does it. So, for example, Eileen Warnos, she had uh, a certain target, which was middle-aged white men. And it was surmised that it was due to her father issues. Mm-hmm. So, really, it was her utilizing her impulse and whatever tricks she, she could come up with to lure people to, I guess, work through her her trauma, but because of the impulse, there was no way of, of uh, her to see any kind of guilt from her actions. It just mm. got worse and worse. Yeah. So it just became her. Yeah. As the, as the police say, I was in their album synchronicity the other day, murder by numbers. Once you, once you make a killing, it's hard to stop. Uh, something like that. I can't remember the exact uh, line from murdered by numbers from by the police. But once I hear that song, man, it's stuck in my head. Uh, I'll be, I was walking around Walmart last night singing uh, it, murder by numbers, one, two, uh, three. And, uh, and, uh, like people are looking at me and I'm like, ah, you know, sing it to me. Uh, you know, hey, Sting wrote it. I didn't write it. Uh, so there you go. Uh, so this is really insightful. Now, was this fourth book the first time that you tackled uh, a murder? Yeah. Uh, when I was thinking about what do I want to do after this series is done, mm. I wanted to do kind of the polar opposite of what the core message was of Boone and Jack, which is that th- I'm obligating them to learn about how to deal with their emotions and how to deal with trauma. 
And they, mm-hmm. they end up doing that. They end up becoming well-adjusted adults somewhat and they're settled. But in Black Rose Cocoon, I'm doing the opposite where I'm showing what could happen to someone if they were to repress trauma for so long and have an impulse they can't control that could do the complete opposite for them where they're so far gone, there is no helping them. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not just showing how someone became a murderer. It's also showing to be showing people what can happen to you minus the impulse if you don't deal with it. Yeah. So, yeah. So that kind of led you into this, this new series that you're working on then, I guess. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's something to kind of counterbalance what I'm working on now. And mm-hmm. then in the future, I'll start working on other things. Like I'm working on, on a uh, brother-sister adventure story and then a uh, three-in-one book uh, fantasy series. That's kind of like a prequel to uh, Boone and Jack where I'm introducing basically the source of where all this magic and chaos comes from. Which the only spoiler I can give you is that there's a sister planet for Earth in this universe that I created, and I call it uh, Theranosita. Ah, so that's going to be interesting. You know, we we have a lot of writers come on the show, and some are very prolific. They've written fifty, sixty books, and they uh, have like all these different book series they're doing with you know where they have you know these guys over here and these guys over here, and they're completely different book styles but they yeah. flip around they'll do like one series of of books that have like 10 or 12 in them of of some folks and then they'll have another series going 10 20 30 books or whatever and you know they're just constantly hopping around and it, it kind of helps them keep fresh is my impression it kind of helps help them develop stories better and and be fresh at at uh at coming back to old older characters with stuff they worked on kind of like a little vacation if you will yeah, I mean, I have some, like, old unfin- unfinished uh, film scripts that I'm turning into books, too. Oh. There's this, uh, it was only eight, eight pages, and I stopped. But I did my uh, twisted version of uh, The Notebook, in which I call it uh, Getting to Know Hank and Lucy, where uh, all I wrote was this opening scene where this middle-aged couple is walking on a beach, and they see a man in a tuxedo washed up ashore with a big uh, um, vintage, like, you know, trunk. And they carry him to their, their, to their house and the box too. And they uncover in, in the box uh, an old picture of the wife and this man that washed up ashore. And they're trying to understand who they are. Wow. That's a whodunit or who. Who not? That's a definitely an adventure. That would freak me out, man. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> Why is there a dead guy with our pictures in him? And are we next? Or who's done it? And, <laughs> yeah, it's a disturbing picture that keep you up at night. <laughs> I'd be like, check all those windows and doors. And yeah, what, you know something. what's funny about what you're saying? I just posted a uh, this morning. I posted a um a video teasing. Uh, the serial killer story, and uh, one of my illustrators who who works with me, um, she said it made her jump like three times. It was only two and a half. It's only two and a half <laughs> minutes long, but she's just like, ah! 
I'm like, okay, I guess I did my job then. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so uh, it sounds like writing. You're getting it really down. You're getting a passion. The books are quite thick. I think the latest one was like 400 pages, I think I saw it. Did I see yeah, that? Yeah, my, my books average between uh, 450 and 420, or 420 and 450. That's a lot of um, mystery and thriller, thriller in there. A lot of fans. Yeah, thriller, I mean, I my the, the reason why my books are so thick and why I'm so detail-oriented is – because of the author that I look up to, which is Stephen King. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love his work, and I'm still dreaming of the day that I meet him. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's good to have heroes. I mean, he's definitely prolific. We, we've tried to get him on this show. Mm. But, you know, he doesn't need to appear anywhere anymore. He just, no, he has the money. He, has the <laughs> he just... Just like I just publish, and, and I'll just pretend that he's watching the show. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. <laughs> Hi, Stephen. Please come on the show if you're watching. Um, Stephen Collins, I want to be on your show. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a lot of authors on. I mean, uh, we have a couple of authors. We have the ja- writer for James Bond on the show. Um, the uh, that's a cool, interesting series. They switch out the authors, but I guess he did the. I think it was the last two or four books. Um, they all have to be improved by by uh, the, the 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 owner of the thing who makes the films. I forget their names. The Brock Broccolini's Broccos Broccolini Broccolis. Um, but uh, they're a fam- they're a family. The wife inherited it from the husband uh, who created the whole movie series. But uh, uh, you know, we've had people that are really prolific. I don't know how many books Stephen King has now. Like probably hundred plus or something. Now. <laughs> yeah, like. I, like I, what I, I have authors that come on the show and they put out a book. They write a book in about four months on a novel. And then it takes about, you know, it takes the publishers, the big publishers, it takes about almost a year to get it out. Or I think they have it banged out to where they do their, their books in about eight months. But they, you know, they do those lead out. Um, but I just saw one of my other prolific authors. I think he's in his thirties, uh, books. Um, he, he might be in his forties. He's written, he, he bangs them out like every four months and, uh, 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 and they just punch him out and he just scheduled again for the show. I think he's been on five times now. And, you know, a lot of these authors, they just, they just really are prolific. I'm kind of jealous. I think that's why I'm talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if I didn't have a day job, I'd be, I'd be doing the same thing, mm-hmm. yeah, but, uh, I got to eat. <laughs> you're, you're getting there. You're getting there. Um, you know, one author we have on, she started writing back in the 60s. Yeah. And, you know, writing for women wasn't a big thing back then. Uh, you know, it was kind of discouraged by her husband at the time because, you know, it was that sort of era. And um, and then she became single and divorced. I think her husband had an alcohol problem. And so she started writing for a living. And everyone was like, no one's going to want to read your books. But they did, and she got a fan base, and she's built it over all these years, and and she comes on the show about every I don't know six months or so, eight months I think it is, but she she just punches out a book, and and she's got multiple you know storylines that are going on, so yeah. it's really cool. What are anything else you want to tease out about your book series, about uh, the books, the newest book, uh, anything we want to tease out that we haven't touched on? Uh, well, one of the important themes in Antoine and Jacques is diversity. So, hmm. for example, Jacques is pansexual. So, I wanted to make sure that that is part of his identity because I wanted the concept of love is love to be strong throughout the whole series. That regardless of uh, 
sexual attraction, a person is a person. And I, I don't even classify anyone with whatever, you know, gender or sexual orientation or even the their, their race because I want people to see these characters as human beings. Mm-hmm. So when I when I describe how they how they look, I don't say black skinned or dark skinned. I say a certain actual tint. Like uh this person has cinnamon skin or this person has mocha skin or they have mm-hmm. uh what's what's that called? The, the vitiligo or they have a discoloration in their in their skin. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Now, is that where they they have it's there's a patchiness to their skin? Yeah, for uh, vitiligo. So, yeah, yeah. So, the, for example, in uh, book th- uh, four, there's this um, this doctor who has um, cinnamon skin with vitiligo, and he has red hair. So it's a very unique look, and he's also very tall. Mm-hmm. And he has this very nonchalant de- demeanor, so he k- gives off that uh, that sincere energy, or sorry, uh, sinister energy. But and- it doesn't mean that he's a killer or anything. It's just how he looks. So, yeah. Some people have that look. Like I have a resting bitch face look that looks sinister <laughs> half the time. Like people, like you know. I've had a girlfriend say to me, are you angry right now? I'm like, no, I'm just resting bitch face. Um, but no, uh, that, that skin condition, uh, there's a lot of inclusion for stuff like that nowadays in everything. Uh, I'm, you know, I've been playing the latest modern warfare two and one of the load screens or one of the, I don't know, just one of the screens, uh, on the, on the game has a person with that skin condition. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of inclusion going on pansexuality. Let's see. It's a sexual, romantic, and emotional attraction towards people, regardless of their sex or gender identity. Yeah. Uh, I've been seeing more of the pansexuality in my dating pools and like Tinder and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, it seems to be a lot of wives that want to want to play but still remain married or something. I don't know what that's about. But they'll be like, "I'm pansexual," and I think they like both sexes. But uh, it's kind of interesting. They need to make a category for it, evidently, in Tinder, so it doesn't show up my feed. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to date somebody who has a husband. That's kind of not my thing. But hey, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. That's your thing. That's totally cool for you. It's just not cool for me. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Um. What was uh, there was something else. Um. Oh, okay. So to really sell diversity, uh, I have in at the end of book three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack marries a transgendered woman of color mm. who is uh, half Puerto Rican, half Moroccan. Oh. And uh, her name is Exantia. She identifies as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that uh, I made uh, that I thought was interesting for book four is that um, the the energy of Citrus is that honesty is key. So if you're transgender, that's who you are on paper. But because of Exantia's perspective of herself, meaning she sees herself as a woman, she um, opted out of being a detective for the agency because they were trying to obligate her to to be on paper as transgender. But once they really needed her, they accepted her for who she is. And same goes for anyone who uh, came aboard the agency. So when you read book four, you see that not just 
for those characters, but for everybody, mm-hmm. um, everyone is seen the way they want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And that the only way they're being judged is by their thoughts that are come that come about and their actions, which mm-hmm. to me is the only kind of judgment that uh, has reasoning. Definitely. I mean, it, it, people are going to judge in biology, but, uh, you know, I, it's it's important that people have their identity and, and what they want to take and do and, and the influence they want to take and have. So that's awesome. Do you, do you find that it resonates with the LGBTQ community? I'd say so. I mean, a lot of my readers are from that uh, community and they've never had any issue with what I, I awesome. do. I mean, even at the end of book three, it, it's very subtle, but there's this, uh, uh, I guess, hospice scene where um, all of these elderly people are just, you know, with each other. And I showed something that I thought I would, I, I have never seen um, publicly um in in like the 50s 60s kind of thing i had a gay couple who are in their 80s and mm-hmm. there's two men i've never seen that before i mean i've seen pictures of of uh soldiers that uh were gay and it's just not really brought up that much mm-hmm. so i wanted to kind of exemplify the importance of not just youth being uh vocal about their sexuality, but people from previous generations as well. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I mean, it's always been around. I mean, a lot of people had to hide it back mm-hmm. in the old days where it was yeah. frowned on and society wasn't as accepting and, and kind of uh, stuck in their old ways. So uh, it's really interesting. And it's great that, that, that there's that inclusivity there where people can feel like they have roles and the characters yeah. they can identify with because for a long time, you know, I remember when they said to me that one of the Teletubbies was, was, uh, you know, LGBTQ. And I was like, oh, really? I've watched that show. I mean, yeah. I don't. I even uh, created this. Uh, I get this, it, but I get it. I whoever yeah. can figure that one out. I created this, this uh, magical species called uh, the Midnight Walkers. Mm. And um, essentially, if when you look at them, they're made of basically the galactic nature of the universe so you see all the stars and galaxies through their body but oh, they have wow. different shades of of lipstick and eyes oh, wow. so, so the the idea behind that was that i'm marrying the concept of we are one part of the universe with oh. humanity so so these creatures are able to manipulate their body into any kind of matter or shape mm. and protect people. There's actually this scene I thought was even surprised myself when I wrote it, where there's people walking through the ancestral grounds of this, of this uh, tribe, I guess. And to protect them from this looming creature, they created this galactic dome over them with their bodies, where they became mm. one and created a cocoon around them until this demonic being passed over and then they were safe to keep walking. Wow. Yeah. I would love to see that. Uh, I'm I'm picturing it in my head. I don't think anyone's ever done anything like that, especially with technically quote unquote aliens. Um, That seems pretty, that seems pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I enter my books in the uh, cinematic book contest for, uh, from uh, screencraft every year in the hopes that, 
I get to because I'm a very cinematic person when it comes to writing. So I always submit it for cinematic book contest because I know that this has true potential to either be movies or a Netflix series of Disney Plus, whatever streaming service is interested. I mean, I'm always trying to pitch that because I truly believe in the value of my work visually and emotionally. There you go. There you go. Well, this is all pretty interesting. We want people to go out and buy the books. Of course, we can't tell them how the ending works. Uh, give us your .coms or wherever people can find you on the interweb and get to know you better. All right. You can find me at H.G. Fletcher at the following social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Make sure you watch TikTok because uh, I did two months of acting classes, and I really tried to, to use that to entertain you guys. So you'll get to see every weird version of me and other characters. Um, my favorite is the new one I just did, Larry McGillicuddy, a real Texan. So make sure you watch those. There's 1,540 people watching. So that's to make that a million people, huh? There you go. There you go. That's awesome. You know, we had a, one writer who came on the show. She does a series. It's a fantasy series. And uh, there's kind of she's like an elfish sort of character that's her main character. And so what she does is she does these photo shoots of her. She's a fairly good-looking woman, so she can dress up as the fairy or the yeah. elf person that uh, she mm. is in her character books and she dresses up and she'll like act out scenes or do readings yeah. or sometimes she just takes pictures mm. of like here's some of the characters in my book and it's quite interesting what she does and mm. uh she really turns it's part of her it's technically part of her art because if you I mean, it's bringing her characters life i guess and things like that i thought that was quite interesting mm-hmm. I, I, of course, always appear as the yeah. character in my books, but they're well, all boring. I, I did a couple of skits with uh, Boone's dad. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, because uh, Crom is an alcoholic and abusive father. So I did this uh, short film, like six minutes long on TikTok, where I pretend to be his dad in his work clothes. But it's a really weird one because it was both <laughs> him being, it's like as if he was caught between the the living world and the and the dead world where he's he's always an alcoholic and he's kind of like foreshadowing you know Boone's inevitable demise in a certain way and I don't know I was just you know having fun with showcasing uh that uh that character there you go bringing characters to life and and uh and sharing them and kind of it makes people I think gives people an added dimension maybe they should do that more with books I'm, of course, always the character who appears in my books, and people are sick of me already. So, uh, you know, but they're business books. They're boring, you know. They don't They don't have – people love novels. I should write novels. I have so many great novels like yourself that come on the show, and, and I really should write uh, in that genre. But I have no imagination, so there's that. I just have crazy dreams, but it depends on which personality of mine's running the show. My imagination is always going off. I mean, I've – envisioned me being interviewed by Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert a million times in different ways and trying to, you know, make it happen, make it happen. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, just keep writing, my friend. You know, you, yeah. you get there. You, you, you find what works with an audience and you get that click. You know, I, I've done so many different business things throughout my life and you tinker with things and, and, you know, some things hit, some things uh, don't quite hit as much as you want. Sometimes you have to build the audience and they come. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes you just, you just tweak something and, like, all of a sudden the lights go on. And uh, you're just yeah. like, holy crap. 
So there you go. Well, it's been wonderful to have you on, AG. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Thank you. And thanks for our audience for coming on. We certainly appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, someone called into the show the other day over the weekend and left a really long, thankful message and just a really warm, heartfelt thing. So our uh, thank you to those people who go on and uh, leave great reviews, comment on the videos. Uh, you're welcome to call us every now and then. I thought it was weird. I'm not sure where they, well, I mean, my number's all over the internet, but I thought it was fun. It was like, they left this beautiful message about how much they love the show and they're thankful for, I think it was our Emily Flitter from New York Times episode. Um, but thanks to them and thanks to my audience just for always being supportive and all the love and outpouring you do. I mean, <laughs> Maybe I should. I'm starting to think maybe I should put up a number so people can call into the show and you know you can just leave a message or something. I did that uh, for um, uh, an indie an indie author podcast where I had uh-huh. six people that called in and answered their questions. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun, and and you know people leave comments on YouTube and stuff, but. Very anybody that calls the show in in Google Voice gives us this transcribe. So, you know, I don't normally answer phone numbers because it's usually some guy going about my car warranty or, you know, we have websites all over. So that's some website scam thing. You know, it's always a scam pretty much. So I I almost never answer the phone unless it's my mom. And, uh, you know, my mom hasn't tried scamming me any time lately. I'm just kidding. She never does that. (laughs) But you know what I mean? You can trust your mom, usually. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And usually your question is like, my car. <laughs> well, yeah, usually your question is the Internet's out or, uh, you know, I can't figure out how to do this on my computer or why. Oh. why, why I had uh, to do that many times with my mom's godmother. Yeah. Andre, yeah. the TV won't work. I can't find the remote. <laughs> Help me find plants, please. Yeah, it's pretty much that. Uh, never tell your friends that. Uh, never tell your friends and family that you know how to fix computers. That's basically it. Uh, so uh, you know. So anytime I get a call, but yeah, it was really beautiful. I was like, oh, okay. And they left this long, beautiful message. Thank me, and I was like, yeah, it's it's kind of good to get that pat on the back every now and then. You know, normally I just sit and look at downloads and going up, and I'm like, yeah. okay, well. They keep going up, but, uh, you know, getting a nice fresh thing. Uh, so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, enti- I'm inviting you people to please, you know, send likes to the show, go on iTunes, give it a five-star review. If you would please over there. <laughs> anyway, Namaz, thanks for tuning in. Go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Foss, goodreads.com forward slash Chris Foss, everywhere on the internet there, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and we're trying to get some stuff up on TikTok. I'm trying to get the format, right? We put up a bill, our billionaire interview and it like cut off the two ends. All you can see is mm. like, it's cut off and it didn't do well. So we're going to try and repost a lot of our content. We had uh, uh, the guy from Hercules, the actor from Hercules on the other day. We're going to try and repost. Yeah, that. I saw that. I was like, oh, that's so cool. The <laughs> chicks love that. The <laughs> chicks love that, dude. Like, uh, we're, uh, you know, I'll tell you something funny because I can probably describe it better than putting it on the show. But he, he's a real professional actor. And I thought about doing a bit on the show where uh, I would have, like, we've had some uh, questions come in for you, uh, uh, Mr. Sorbo, on the show, uh, and then I and I reach over and grab, like, a whole set of bras, and, and I say, like, uh, this one says, throw this at him. So here's another bra that says, throw this at him. And then I was going to hold up a male thong, you know, that looked a little male-ish, and I'd be like, say freshly used. Someone, said, <laughs> someone sent this in and said, throw it at him. You know, I thought it would be a funny bit, but yeah. he seemed real professional. He's on the show and he, I'm like, you know, he probably gets enough of that. 
kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, but I thought it would be a really funny bit, but, uh, you know, um, whatever, we left it off. Some things, some, some jokes I can carry too far. And so, uh, we have to make a call and just, it was more, it was more of a business show than anything, but I don't know. He might appreciate if we were just talking about acting in his thing, but he, I, you know, he, he kind of knows, man, chicks dig him. <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you guys. Be good to each other. Stay safe and we'll see you guys next time.